And I was so, so uh, reminded, um, just in my personal quiet time, I'd come across uh, Colossians. I was reading through it again and, and, and just so reminded of, of the aspect um, that Paul challenged us to sing to one another, right? To sing to one another. Isn't it interesting how, uh, and in Ephesians he says, sing songs and hymns. And spiritual songs, right? There's just something that happens when, when we um, put truths to music, right? It slips into our soul a little bit. Now, now if you're like me, as soon as, as the song is over, then all the little walls go back up, right? And, and you guard your heart. But I'm guessing, because I know God's timing is perfect, I'm guessing that that there's those of us here in the room who are struggling right now with forgiveness, right? I'm guessing that God, whose timing is perfect, has brought us to this place today so that we might not find our identity in what we have or have not forgiven, but that we might find our identity in God's house in our relationship with him. So I'd like you to say with me, I am a child of God. Would you say that? I am a child of God. Would you say it one more time? I am a child of God. Oh God. For so long our identities have been tied up in so many other things. For many of us, God, our identities have been tied up in our abilities. Temporary as they are. God, I'm so mindful as I, as I grow older that you gift us with temporary identities so that we can grow and mature and come to that place where we find our true identity. Not in our ability, not in our jobs, not even, God, in uh, those that we are related to. But God, we find our genuine identity in you. Father, forgive me. Forgive us for the times when we have deformed that beautiful image that you created us in. When times when we have sinned and fallen short of the glory that you created us for. And, and Father, forgive us also for for then finding our identity in our brokenness or in our ability to manage our sin rather than just coming to you, Papa, coming to you and confessing our sin and finding forgiveness and then in being the very images Elder Chad challenged us to be to be the representation of Jesus to the world and offering that forgiveness to others. So forgive us our sins, God, for they are many. Even now in the safety and stillness of this place, this house of God, we invite you, Holy Spirit, sift through us, and bring to our minds, God, anything 
that we're still holding on to that is not of you. Jesus, we agree with you. Those things are not the way you created us. We agree that they are not a part of the image of God in us. In your name, Jesus, we ask you to forgive us. In your name, Jesus, we declare that that. The price has already been paid. That's why you went to the cross. In your name, Jesus, we lift up our faces and gaze on your beauty and receive this precious gift. Beloved, if you have confessed your sins, know this for certain, that he is faithful and he will forgive your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. In the name of Jesus, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen? Amen. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. What a privilege then. Having reminded ourselves of who we are in Jesus Christ, to go to his word and to find real help in our time of need. Would you go to a couple places with me real quick? Would you go to Psalm 19? What? Psalm 19. I just want to remind you of a whole another teaching from another day where we discover that the psalmist also understood many of the truths that, that were then reiterated in the New Testament. David spends the first part of Psalm 19 talking about natural revelation. Like, like Paul in Romans 1, he says, he says, creation is crying out the truths of God. <clears throat> and, and, and that's why Paul would say in Romans 1, there's no excuse then, because, because all around us is evidence of a loving and gracious God. But look, look in verse 7. In verse 7, all of a sudden, it's like a different psalm. All of a sudden, he flips and starts talking about the Word of God. He has 15 different names for it, but he, he's talking about now not natural revelation in creation, but special revelation in the Word of God. He says these words, The law of the Lord is perfect Reviving the soul. The testimonies of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. And he's not done yet. The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Oh my goodness. Powerful powerful truths and and then he cannot help but respond more to be desired are they these precepts these laws these these commandments these testimonies more to be desired are they than gold yes even much fine gold sweeter are these truths than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb and moreover by them 
is your servant warned. And in keeping them, there's great reward. And so we have these powerful truths laid out in Psalm 19. And then, and then he goes into the lab, right? Then he, then he says, what impact is this going to have on my life? And in verse 12, he says, who can discern his errors, right? Uh, Lord, we all have these blind spots. We make errors. Who can discern them, God? And, 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 and declare me innocent, God, from hidden faults. Errors left unchanged become fault lines in our soul, right? Cracks in our soul. God, God, I, I want to I receive forgiveness for the stupid things that I do. I want, God, for you to intervene in those things that are becoming a part of my character. And then he says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins, right? When I choose, when I choose to sin against you, God, let them not have dominion over me. Then, then I shall be blameless and innocent of the great, of the great transgression, right? I think most of us spend most of our time in those last two and, and the Word of God is speaking now to us. It's, it's, it's revealing things to us, errors, hidden faults, yes, presumptuous sins. And, and this sweet reminder that we don't have to fear the great transgression, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to fear that, right? Because Jesus Christ is in our hearts. That's why he says the words that we say almost every week. Let, let the words of my mouth. And the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, right? Turn with me now, would you, to our passage for the day, Philemon. Ooh, so um, I'm so excited that Bibles are back in there. Again, if you are most comfortable with your phones, use your phones. Um, I still, maybe as an old, or old boomer, I still love having that book in my hand. I love seeing the relationship of different verses to one another. But Philemon is following the, the, the five T books, First uh, and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, another personal letter of Paul to an individual, and, and then Philemon. I'm going to read it, and we'll unpack it a little bit in our, in our message today. Paul, a prisoner... For Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. So he's not alone. This is coming from community. Paul and Timothy, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, who also is not alone. And Appia, our, our sister, very possibly Philemon's wife. And to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church that is in your home. We could spend a whole uh, day just on that phrase and the church that is in your home grace to you paul says peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ a beautiful a beautiful introduction and then i love it uh, we've seen this over and over again we saw it in colossian then he then he starts with what he's uh thankful for right uh, it, it's an aspect of worship. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus, your love and faith toward the Lord Jesus, but also your love and faith for all the saints, he says. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective 
for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. By the way, I would just ask you in in your own study, compare that to the start of Colossians. So he wrote a letter to the church that is in his house, but then he also wrote a letter very possibly to the pastor or shepherd of that home church, Philemon, as well. And Paul continues, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, wow, he said, I I have the authority to command you, yet for love's sake, I prefer, the Apostle Paul says, to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, probably in his mid-60s at this point, uh, an old man, I appeal to you, now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. That's going to be important, right? Because he's going to talk in a way about another prisoner, right? I appeal to you, Philemon, for my child, Onesimus. Say Onesimus, would you? Onesimus. Onesimus. Yeah, it's hard to wrap your lips around. Onesimus. Whose father I became in my... What is he talking about? Is he talking about... What is he talking about? He's talking about spiritual children, right? In this mystery, Paul in Rome... Remember, he's never visited Colossae. Paul in Rome has met the escaped slave of the pastor of a church. Right? Is your mind just going... Right? Right? Uh, It's so odd in our culture. We'll try and unpack some of that in a moment, right? Paul has encountered this escaped slave from the pastor of a house church in Colossae, hundreds of miles away, right? And he witnessed to him, and Onesimus, the, the escaped slave, has become a follower of Jesus. Uh, now, Onesimus means useful. Right? In Greek. And, and you can see how someone might name a slave. Well, this one's a useful one, right? Isn't that, well, don't worry. We'll get there. If, if your mind's absolutely rebelling right now, don't worry. We'll get there. But, but um, I just want you to note that his name is, means useful because of what Paul says next. Formerly, he was useless to you. Paul's making a play of words on the name of Onesimus. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed Onesimus. He is now indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me, Paul says, in order that he might serve me on your behalf. A slight dig possibly right there during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord or choice. For this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might now have him back forever. Right now your mind's going, what? You're sending him back to slavery? No longer. 
a bond servant, uh, a particular, a different form of slavery than we've experienced in our American culture. Uh, No longer a bond servant, uh, but more than a bond servant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. How much more to you? How much more to you, Philemon? Right? Both in flesh and in the Lord. So, and earlier he he said, uh, my beloved fellow worker, um, same word for partner. So, if you, Philemon, consider me your partner, he's playing hardball right here. If you consider me your partner, Philemon, receive him as you would receive me. Uh, Wow. Um, again, we don't live in that context, so we, we uh, probably uh, fail to understand the magnitude of what the Apostle Paul is doing. Receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. Remember, he was virtually blind. Paul is virtually blind. So you can imagine what that looked like. And, and Philemon would know that this was not somebody pretending to be Paul. They would know that this was Paul. He stops his, his amanuensis, he stops his secretary and, and writes these words in his own hand. I, Paul, will repay it. And Paul was a gifted, uh, a gifted persuader. I'm choosing my words very carefully. He says, I will repay it. But don't even think, Philemon, about you owing you me your very life, right? Isn't that funny? Apparently not. <laughs> this, guy, this guy could, um, could make, he could persuade, right? He says, do what you're going to do. Just remember that you owe me. Philemon, your very life. Yes, brother. I want some benefit from you in the Lord. You who have refreshed so many hearts, refresh my heart. The Apostle Paul says, refresh my heart in Christ and confident of your, here's that word from last week, children, obey your parents, right? Spiritual children, obey your spiritual parent here, Paul. Confident in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will graciously, I will be graciously given to you. Remember, Paul's in prison very possibly for the last time, and uh, and he's saying. Um, do this, Philemon, cause, and prepare a room for me. I want you to know that I'm going to check up on you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch bases with you. I want to come and see if you have put this into practice. Epaphras, remember that name? Epaphras, probably the person who planted the church in uh, Colossae, also in Laodicea, in Heropolis nearby. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark. That's a whole story in itself. The guy that abandoned Paul and Barnabas. Mark is back with him. So Paul has forgiven Mark. Aristarchus, Demas, Luke. Yes, the same Luke. My fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The very word of God. 
Oh, thanks be to God. Oh, God, take these simple words, would you? And would you do that miracle you do with your Holy Spirit and translate them, God, into each one of our hearts in that unique way that each one of us need to hear. And God, we will give you the praise and we will give you the glory in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, my goodness, I'm, I'm, I'm just astounded again. Uh, the Apostle Paul was always this bigger-than-life figure for me. This, this person wrote such a significant portion of the whole uh, uh, New Testament. Probably, I've said it so many times, second only to Jesus in his spiritual influence over all humanity, right? Um, the Apostle Paul is putting the truths that he taught in Colossians into practice, and he is enacting Christian community right before our eyes. But I want to I set a context for a minute because if, if we just hear the truths but can't relate them to our lives, then they won't land. And three or four years from now, you'll be studying Philemon again, and you go, oh, yeah, right? Um, But if we can think for just a second um, about our own situations, and if we can apply the truths of God to our own situation, then not only will they stick, but we will be transformed as a result. Here's what's happening. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to and about a hurting person. Very likely, uh, when um, Onesimus ran away, um, it, it appears that he stole resources from Philemon. So it's not just a matter of him escaping his slavery. He stole from Philemon. And in this miracle of God encounters someone who knows Philemon in Rome, where he's gone, maybe Rome was one of the bigger cities at the time, maybe to get lost in that crowd. You know, uh, in that kind of culture, a slave could be set free. They could buy their freedom. They could be declared free. Uh, uh, they could escape slavery. And the larger the city, the better, right? And somehow, in God's miraculous plan, uh, Paul meets Onesimus, and Onesimus becomes a follower of Christ, right? So Paul, uh, just a couple names we need to have nailed down here. Paul is an apostle and the author of this letter and the letter to uh, Colossians and many other portions of the New Testament. We just want to remind ourselves, he himself is a prisoner. Keep that in mind because, in a sense, uh, uh, Onesimus was a prisoner as well. He was a slave, a bond servant, and, and, and so they have something in common here. Philemon now was a Christian slave owner, and that's hard to put those three words together, isn't it? Uh, Philemon was a Christian slave owner who lived in Colossae in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey. And, and somehow along the line, although they probably had never met in person, they became very close, probably as the Apostle Paul mentored him in shepherding 
uh, Epaphras, who then shepherded uh, Philemon, that, that making disciples who make disciples. Uh, so he's a close friend now of Paul, and very possibly Paul or Epaphras had led him to Christ. And we do know that, that there is this house church that's meeting in his home. So the third person is Onesimus, a runaway slave who came to Rome where he met Paul and became a follower of Jesus, right? Okay, so here's the central issue of the letter, right? Very tiny little personal letter. Um, The central issue is that the Apostle Paul has a converted slave on his hands and and coming to Jesus, the slave is saying, what do I do now? What Now, I, I bet that 95% of us right here would immediately say, your identity now is in Jesus. You are no longer a slave. In fact, that was one of the worship songs that we thought about doing this morning. I'm no longer a slave to fear, right? I am, help me, a child of God, right? Um, what do I do here? And, and and many of us would say, run away, right? And Paul doesn't. I'm gonna I'm gonna put words in here that are not in the scripture, but Paul says, Go back to the place of your pain and be reconciled. Be reconciled, right? Now does he play hardball with Philemon? Oh absolutely. He's jealous for Onesimus, right? But, but don't miss the context here. Why is this so important? Because we hurt, too. We hurt, right? And, and for whatever reason, in our culture, in our culture, um, we have created a culture where people just live in their hurt their whole life. They just lit, suck it up and be a man, Right? Suck it up and be a woman. Just suffer along, right? That is not God's plan for your life. God does not want you to to um, scar over and to hurt the rest of your life, right? What God wants to do, what God wants to do is find healing and restoration, right? And so, so Paul is putting his very own words in the letter to Colossians. He's putting them into practice here and doing something very painful for him, very painful for Onesimus, the slave, and very painful for Philemon, the, I'm going I'm to put it in quotes for a second, the quote-unquote offended one, right? Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon, right? And right now we're all going... Doesn't Paul know that slavery is wrong in the eyes of God? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Well, if he knew that, why doesn't he say that, right? And I just want to remind you that there's a powerful culture in place right here. The Roman culture covered much of the civilized world at that time. And, and, and the Roman culture was built on slavery. And so the question is not, can I overturn slavery by one actor? The question is, how can I set three people free? Paul and Philemon and Onesimus. So as we begin to delve into these issues with Paul here, we discover that the message 
in the book has amazing relevance for our lives today. Well, let me unpack it just a little bit. Uh, and this is a lot of this is Dave speaking here, and there are there there are people with much more wisdom. But I, I unfortunately am going to put it in little sound bites to try and wrap our brains around it enough to be able to get to the punchline today, right? What is hurt, right? What is hurt? Our culture is a culture of hurt, right? And in fact, right now, all someone has to do is saying, you hurt me. And all of a sudden, the culture goes, wow, something wrong with you. You hurt that person. I'm going I'm to go on a limb here and suggest to you that, Hurt is when we turn emotion inward, right? And, and, and let me just pick a couple of emotions because we don't have time today, but, but um, anger in, in its myriad forms, right? When someone offends you, you get frustrated. You get There's 15 different words here, but they're all some form of anger, Right? You have been wrong, or you perceive that you have been wrong. And so you have a couple of things. You can express that anger. By the way, the same apostle says, be angry. Help me. Just don't sin. Right? Anger's not, anger's not wrong. It's what you do with the anger. But a lot of us, myself especially, and included, say, pastors, don't get angry. I've shared with you some pretty spectacular failures. On my part before, right? Christians, pastors, don't get angry. So what do we do? Turn it inward, right? We turn it inward. And, 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 and we're hurt. And, and the culture has picked up on that. And now, and now they, um, they will run right to hurt. The first response is, oh, you hurt me, right? Um, I want to just say to you, hurt is when we... Choose not to process something and turn it inwards instead, right? By the way, I'm going to take just one more uh, emotion, um, grief. Again, uh, I'm not good at this. I have not grieved my mom. I, and, and all those questions, what's wrong with you? What is wrong with you, right? Every once in a while, I'll start to approach it, and I think years of turning stuff inward rather than expressing it, right? Uh, I bury it deep, and, and, and so when I want to, when I want to grieve, I can't. I can't, right? And so, so um, hurt is taking something that, that may be very natural and instead of expressing it in an appropriate way, uh, turning it inwards, right? But what do we do when, I'm going to say someone is hurting, but, but it could be you, right? What do we do? Oh, excuse me. Why, let, me let me do, why do we hurt for a second? Why do we hurt? Oftentimes, here's this little formula you hear me say all the time. It's because of something that we've done. It's we've done. And, and because we didn't know how to, to deal with it or express it or find reconciliation, we hurt as a result. Uh, oftentimes, it's because of something we didn't do. Oh, my goodness. I could tell you stories of time when, when, 
regret overwhelms me because of something I didn't do. And, and I still beat myself up about some of those things. I have to practice the very things I'm inviting you to practice. I have to practice them on a daily basis as well. But oftentimes, then, it's this third category because of what has been done to us, right? Something's been done to us. Now, we still have the opportunity to process it. We still have the opportunity in a godly way to go into the lab and to work it out with fear and trembling, right? We have this, this opportunity to process it, but, but instead we turn it inward. All around you, all around you are people that in some way are hurting What if I said to you, what if I said to you that you have the power, remember our memory verse, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What if I said to you, you have the power to set someone free. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Wow. Well, I'm going to oversimplify this for a second, but, but. What do, we, what do we do when someone is hurting? And, and sometimes it's ourselves, but, but know that surrounding you in the pews around, even maybe on your couch at home, those of you watching at home, or someone who is hurting, what can we do? First and immediately, I'm going to oversimplify, but, but, but I just want to say be a friend. Be a friend in the deepest biblical sense of that, right? Uh, um, what did, what did the psalmist say? Uh, excuse me, uh, uh, Solomon. And, and uh, well, it's jumped out of my head, but it's got to be something like, uh, like Proverbs eighteen twenty four. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Right? There, there is a relationship that's deeper than this. No, no. In the NIV, the intro to to Philemon says. Uh, 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 uses the word friend in the ESV. It uses the word beloved brother. Right? What Paul is recognizing that sometimes uh, our deepest relationships are not with those who are blood related to us. Uh, it there is a deeper friendship uh, that that can happen than even uh, blood. Right? And and I say this. To my regret, I would love to have the best possible relationship with my blood family members. I'm thinking now of my sisters, right, um, uh, of my nuclear family. But the reality is that some of my sisters in Christ here, I'm closer to than my own blood sisters. And I'm tempted to beat myself up about that, but, but I think it's a, it's a spiritual reality. What can you do to someone who is hurting? Not say, well, I hope someone in your family uh, works it out for you, right? You can become that better than beloved sister or brother. You can become that friend that that person really needs. Well, how was Philemon... I'm going to pick on him for a second. How was Philemon a friend? Philemon had been a friend to Paul. Again, in the NIV, Paul to Philemon, our dear friend, right? But Philemon was also a friend to believers. I hear of your love, the Apostle Paul says, for all 
the saints. Saints is not like Catholic saints. Saints is just those who know Jesus Christ. Holy ones. Philemon was a friend to believers as well. Now here's the punchline, right? He's a friend to Paul. He's a friend to his church. But now the rubber's meeting the road. Could Philemon be a friend to Onesimus as well? Paul says, for Perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer a slave, but more than a slave, a dearly loved brother, a a blessed friend, right? This is especially so to me, but even more to you, Philemon. This is critical, right? So, so. Uh, by the way, this always raises images of Job's friends, right? What not to do. I just want to remind you that Job's friends started out doing well, right? They just sat with Job through his hurt and through his pain. They were with him. They, their trouble came when they tried to put words. They tried to fix him, right? And, um, but they were doing so good before that of, of just being with them. Beloved, all around you are hurting people. Kristen and I had a, had a dear friend in one of the locations that we chaplain who, who um, we just were privileged to walk beside. And then about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, she committed suicide. All around you. All around you are hurting people who just want to know there's someone who cares. There's someone who will sit with them, right? And, and if, beloved, if we who are set free, if we who are, find our identities in, as children of God will not be that friend, who will, right? If not us, who, right? Be a friend. Be a friend. What does a friend do. A friend refreshes the heart of the wounded, refreshes the heart of the hurting. In the movie The Color Purple, there was this beautiful character, Sophie, who spent several years unjustly incarcerated for a, just a ridiculously minor offense. And when she was released from prison, she was broken. She could barely function. Her mistress casually hands her a shopping list to feel to feel she can't she can't even think straight to be able to fulfill that and 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 sophie's a friend sees sophie staring at the grocery shelf she understands her vulnerability she protects her by quietly filling that grocery order for her beautiful little act of love beautiful um you do those things several times a day right What you don't realize is the impact on that person. Months later, when Sophie began to awaken from her trouble, she she said to that friend, I want to thank you, Miss Seely, for everything you've done for me. I remember that day in the store. I was really down. I was feeling mighty bad, she says. And when I seize you, I knows there is a God. I knows there is a God. Oh, may that be sad of us, beloved. When I seize you, I know there is a God. Be a friend, but be also a forgiver. Be also a forgiver. I'm out of time, so I won't go into some of 
the illustrations that I was going to share for this, but let me get to the punchline of forgiveness, drawing on all the many times we've studied this concept together. A forgiver releases the sin, right? It doesn't deny that it ever happened. It doesn't deny that there are consequences. It doesn't say that this was okay because it was sin is never okay, right? It just says, I choose to no longer hold this against you. I want to set you free. Again, as we sang in the song, that famous expression, Lewis Smith says, when you forgive, you set the prisoner free and discover that the prisoner is you. Is you, right? But, but not only choose to walk alongside someone to be a genuine friend, but be a forgiver. Here's the astounding thing. And, and I hope I can make this point. I've been praying for two days that I can make this point to you. Um, um, think, I put myself in Philemon's place. Philemon was hurt. The, the slave that he trusted stole from him and ran away against all the laws of that broken culture, right? And, and Philemon has this opportunity to say, uh, I, I am hurt. I deserve to be hurt. Somebody fix this wrong, right? Well, you and I know the rest of the story, right? What is the bigger sin? What is the bigger sin? Is the, is the sin that he stole something from him? Or is the sin that he, he broke a, a false covenant with him? The bigger sin is slavery. Amen? There's no excuse for that, right? There's, there is, we're, there's no way you can paint that and make it pretty, right? It was a reality, but it's not a, a, a biblical reality. It's not an eternal reality. Um, uh, Philemon never realized where the greater debt was, it smacks of, of, of that uh, uh, parable of Jesus. Also, I believe in Matthew 18, right after that, about the guy who, who begs for forgiveness from, and it's extreme, this ridiculous amount of resources. It was just, I mean, Jesus wanted to make sure nobody was confused. Ridiculous amount of resources. He's forgiven. And what he does, he goes back and, and hits the guy up. For this tiny little amount in comparison, Philemon never realized that. Here's where I'm trying to go, beloved. What am I not realizing, God? When I choose hurt, when I choose to hold something against someone, what am I not realizing? Where am I enslaving other people because of my brokenness and my sin? Did that point land? Did you catch it? I don't want to stand before Jesus one day, right? And, and, and realize for the first time in his presence that the person's sin that I was holding against them was so much smaller than my own, right? And God has forgiven us. That's why we camped on that a little while ago. God has forgiven us our sin. Let's be a forgiver. Let's set people Free, and that that brings me to my last point. Worship team, come on up if you would. Um, um, when you set someone free, you change their future. You change their eternity. Right? Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. You change, right? Be a future giver. Be a friend. Yes. Be a forgiver. But change people's futures. Give them a future. 
and a hope, right? Who was it? Uh, Krista McAuliffe. Remember that teacher who became an astronaut? Right? She did these videos before uh, the tragedy that was the Challenger disaster. And she, she said, she had adopted as her motto, I touch the future. I teach. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Beloved, let's touch the future. Let's change the future of other people. Philemon thought that he had Onesimus' future in his hands. By law, he could have had him executed, right? But there's a greater law, sweeter than honey, right? There's, there's a greater law, right? More precious than silver. There's this greater law of the Lord that says, grant people a beautiful future. Well, what did Philemon do? So often Jesus would do this. He would tell a story, and we didn't know the outcome of it. We didn't know the outcome of it. Um, and, and in the letter of Philemon, we don't know. In the letter of Colossians, we don't know. But And, and be careful here. I'm going out on a limb here. There was a church father 50 years later who wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus and addressed the letter to the bishop who was at the church of Ephesus 50 years later. And guess what that bishop's name was? Onesimus. I don't know. I cannot tell you for sure, but this I do know, that Ignatius, in writing that letter, said, the one who was formerly useless to you has now become useful to both you and me. Does that sound familiar? It's a quote from the book of Philemon, which Ignatius had in his hand, right? I don't know how this came out, but I do know that 50 years later, there was a bishop in, in Ephesus whose life had been changed because of someone being a friend, because of someone being a forgiver, because of someone touching his future. If you were that person, um, reach out. Find a trusted sister or brother. Find me, call me, day or night, and, and let me walk beside you in, in your hurt and in your pain. But recognize that there are those around you who need that same, same precious gift. And maybe even before you realize that deliverance yourself, maybe, just maybe, you might be God's instrument. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you so much for your word, which is not only true, God, which speaks to us powerful truths of life but also which causes us, which calls us into accountability to put them into practice. God, we know that once we were that person on the other side of of that great chasm of sin, once we were hurting and you left heaven and came 
to earth, became flesh and walked among us so that we might find life. Oh, God, for those who are hurting this morning, for those who are struggling with unforgiveness, for those, God, who today just need you to touch their eternity, to touch their future. God, pour out your love on us today. And then, God, I pray that we might hold one another accountable, just as Paul held Philemon accountable, that we might say, I want to touch bases with you on the future. I want, I want you to tell me how you put into practice the truths that you learn today. And then, God, we will rejoice. We will give you the prayer, the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us, would you? We have just a brief moment to be able to reflect.